this passage in Hebrews that we're looking at today, it has somewhat of a surprise ending, a, a plot twist, a turn of sorts. And it takes an unexpected twist that makes us really wrestle with some ideas that may not be altogether comfortable. So far in Hebrews 11, we've, we've been learning about people who lived by faith. And we have heard of the faith of Abel, an unexpected character, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the faith of Joseph and Moses and Rahab. And all these people have been held up as examples, really, of the people of God who lived by faith. And what does it look like to live a life by faith? Peter, are we okay? All right, guys, switch. All right, I think I'm back on. There we go. Excellent. Thank you, Pete. I am glad we have you. You're a gift. I would be lost without you. So. <laughs> well, if you've been paying attention in the text so far, walking through Hebrews, you would have noticed maybe some hints of, of things to come that aren't quite expected. You may have noticed a few weeks ago that Abel, Abel was an unexpected character, an unexpected example of someone who had faith in God, and yet... He had faith in God, and then he was killed by his brother. In the verses we're about to read, there's an unexpected twist midway through. When we get there, I'm, I'm going to draw attention to it. So let's read God's holy word together. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For a time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. It's an astounding passage of faith so far. Now here's the unexpected twist. Some, by faith, were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. Father, when we come to passages like this, we are more aware of our need of your help. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're the one who inspired a man to write this scripture. Holy Spirit, you're the one who gave these words originally. So we have great confidence that the same Spirit who gave these words originally is, is in each and every believer here. And Lord, I just pray that you would illumine this word. Make it clear to us. Would you make this word effective, Lord? Thank you that your word does not return void and accomplishes what you have purposed and planned for it. 
Father, I pray that you would anoint your word afresh this morning. God, give me grace as I speak and give grace to all of those who hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our day, some Christians, it's popular notion, they believe that if you have enough faith, you can be healthy or prosperous. If you have enough faith, you won't have problems in life. If you have enough faith, you can have everything you want. And that life is all about things and having things and comfort and security and safety. It's a popular notion that if you only believe enough, then you can be healed. If you only believe enough, then you can be prosperous. If you only believe enough, But that's not a biblical notion. Same time, we can wrongly think, as Christians, the other extreme. We can think that if we're not doing well, if we're suffering, if we're going through hardship, if we're going through trials, if we're going through periods of uncertainty and difficulty, maybe in some way we're experiencing some form of torture, relationship difficulties. We can wrongly assume that that means that God's not pleased with us. We can wrongly assume if we go through suffering that God is somehow angry with us, he's punishing us, he's withholding his goodness from us. This text does damage to that idea. This text is very important to Christianity. If you are a believer, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you want to maintain your faith, this text is extremely important. And it's important because it tells us that it's not the results of life that indicate whether God's pleased with us. It's not whether we're rich or poor. It's not whether we're healed or we're sick. It's not whether we die in a nursing home or whether we live to a ripe old age that indicates God's pleasure with us. You see, God is pleased with us through faith. And we can wrongly assume, we can wrongly assume that if, if we are being blessed, that that means that we're doing great and God's just rewarding us. Well, maybe... Maybe not. We can wrongly assume that if we're sick and we're suffering, that somehow God is displeased with us. But those aren't, those aren't biblical notions for those who are made sons and daughters of God. This text it tells us something somewhat surprising. It tells us that faith is not a determining factor in whether we overcome suffering or whether we go through suffering. Did you hear that? Faith is not a determining factor in whether we overcome suffering or whether we endure through suffering. You can have tons of faith, and God says, endure. You can have tons of faith, and God says, I'm going to deliver you. God is the determining factor, not the measure of our faith. In fact, this text tells us living a commendable life in God's eyes, it's not about being rich or poor, healthy or well, I mean, or healthy or sick, it's all about having faith in God and whether he enables us to overcome great things or enables us to endure through great things. It's all about our faith in God, our trust of God, and God's ability to keep us, to enable us, to hold us. The main idea of the passage that we're going to unpack this morning it's, is that through faith, God enables his people. Through faith, God enables his people. God commends them, and he provides for his people. Through faith... God enables his people, commends his people, and provides for his people. We're going to unpack a few points from these verses that really demonstrate that God is a God who works in his people through the faith of his people. We've seen in Hebrews already that from first to last, the Christian life, it's all about faith, isn't it? 
It's a life of faith. In verses 32 to 35, the author here, he's encouraging us. He's encouraging originally this little beleaguered church. This is a church that's been facing great difficulties. They're about to face the persecution of Nero. They're facing difficulties. They're, they're, they're being tested for their faith. They're being tempted to give up, to turn back, to turn away. And so in these verses, he's wanting them to see that through faith, God enables his people to do great things. And that's, that's the first point we're going to unpack, is that through faith, God does. He enables people to do great things. They needed to know that. I think we need to know that as well. They needed to know that there wasn't some hidden secret by which God's people overcame and, and were delivered. It was through their faith in God. They didn't have to earn God's favor in order to overcome. It was through their faith in God that they were able to overcome situations and circumstances and trials and difficulties. And the Hebrew church they needed to see that the people of God, they were delivered, not because they were superhuman. You ever feel like that? You look, you look around and you see somebody who is delivered from all these problems. You're like, well, it must be because God's happier with them. If, if you're honest, you, you're, you're, you're going to admit that's probably tr been true at some point in your life. You know that's wrong. But you're tempted to think that. Maybe they're superhuman. Maybe they're extraordinary in and of themselves. But the reality is, is that these examples, this list of people, they weren't superhuman. They weren't extraordinary in and of themselves. God was the one who enabled the people to do great things as they placed their faith in him. He was the one who enabled people in every case. Maybe you're facing challenges. Maybe you're facing trials. Maybe you're facing difficulties and suffering. And, and, and you think that you have to be good enough. You have to earn God's favor. You have to be pleasing to God in some way that he would, he would bless you. God wants you to hear that no, it's, it's through faith in him and his ability. He's the one who can enable. Each one of the people that he lists in these verses, and in fact, all the heroes of the Old Testament, there was one common denominator. They lived their lives by faith. They live their lives by faith in God's word, faith in God's promises. But get this, all of the people that he lists and all of the heroes of the Old Testament, they had something else in common too. They were flawed. They were sinful. They were weak. They, they weren't strong in and of themselves. To begin with, you see that Gideon, he didn't believe the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord comes down and appears to him and he's like, I'm not so sure. Um, you appear to be an angel, but I'm not exactly sure if I really should trust you or not. So he puts out this fleece, and that's not a way that we're supposed to interact with God. But Barak, he was fearful, and he said, I'm not going to head into battle without Deborah. What a great mighty man, right? <laughs> Unless this woman comes with me, I'm not going to go. Samson, great man of faith. Not for a lot of his life, he was sinful. He gave in to temptation. Instead of keeping his vow to the Lord, he, he broke his vow to give in to a sinful woman. And he suffered the consequences of his sin. All of those people that he lists in these examples, they were sinful in some way. They were all imperfect. They all made mistakes, but all of them had something else in common. They weren't celebrated for their sin. They were celebrated for their faith in God. So the author of Hebrews, he's not here painting a false picture of people. He's not trying to whitewash history. He's not doing revisionist history. 
No, he's using examples of these, of these really flawed people on purpose to show that they weren't ultimately defined by their sin. They weren't ultimately defined by their weakness. And isn't that good news for you and I this morning, that we're not ultimately defined by our sin. We're not ultimately defined by our weakness. We're not ultimately defined by our flaws and the things we've done wrong. Those things don't define us. You know what defines us? Our faith in God. They were finally defined by their faith in God and his promises. Each of the people, they failed, but they overcame through faith. Gideon was timid to begin with, but once, once he placed his faith in God, remember he overcame. In Judges 7, it describes the scene that he was facing. In Judges 7, 12, it says, The Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east, they lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. Gideon faced overwhelming odds. So what did God do? God told Gideon to call the people. So God, Gideon called the people. And 30,000 people responded. That's a pretty good response. It's still much smaller than the, the number of all the sand on the seashore. But So 30,000 people responded. God says, that's too many because I think you're going to trust yourself. You're going to trust your own ability. And so he sent 10,000 people back. And then God weeded them down finally until there's only 300 people left facing an innumerable amount of people. And yet as Gideon and the men placed their faith in God's promise to deliver them, the armies fled at the sound of 300 men blowing their trumpets and yelling. Okay, so an innumerable army, 300 men. Do you think they rescued themselves? No, that was, that was God responding to their faith. That was God acting on their behalf supernaturally. It wasn't of them. It wasn't by them. It wasn't through them. Their salvation was... By faith, by grace through faith, just like our salvation today is by grace through faith. We receive God's salvation today through faith, but it's really all of God's grace. It's all of his favor. Barak, he was fearful at first, but once he placed his faith in God, we know the story that God miraculously delivered him and the whole army of Israel. They were able to conquer a, a far superior military machine. They routed the whole army of Sisera. It says in Judges, they routed them by the edge of the sword. That's what this text is picking up on in Hebrews. And then Samson, he gave in to lust. He was unfaithful. But in the very end, he placed his faith without sight. Sight unseen, he placed his faith in the God he could not see. And God used him to deliver the people and have a mighty defeat as he brought down the temple and the enemy and himself and God strengthened him supernaturally it might be surprising that that author of Hebrews used the example of Jephthah if you remember Jephthah he, he made a, a foolish rash vow and he says whatever comes out of my house I'm going to sacrifice and his daughter came out of the house but as he placed his faith in God the Lord used him to guide the people of Israel and overthrow the Ammonites Everybody's heard of King David. Maybe you don't have a Christian background. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church here. And, but you've probably heard the stories of, of King David. His mighty conquest over Goliath, the giant. David was a young boy, and he had faith in God, and he stood up to Goliath. And in, and in 1 Samuel 17, it tells us, it says, 
David, here's what David said to Goliath. He said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. So here's this giant and here's this little pre-adolescent boy. And here's his faith in God. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Talk about great faith. What, in his own ability? I don't think so. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that God saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And yet David, the same man who was a man of great faith, who was commended for his faith, he had it all. He had all the wives he could want, saw somebody else's wife. He took her and committed adultery with her. But not only that, he maliciously had her husband assassinated. Later, he disobeyed God by calling for a, th a census, and, and thousands of people were killed because of him. But when he was confronted, he repented for his sins. And what did he do? He trusted in God. He trusted in his promises. And then Scripture, in the end doesn't remember him for his failures. Although it doesn't gloss over them either. It's very real. Scripture doesn't try to paint an unrealistic picture of humanity. But what it tells us is that he was commended for his faith in God. Samuel, who the author mentions here, he says that he was known for his integrity and his, his faith in God. And he powerfully interceded on behalf of Israel at, at Mizpah. And God delivered Israel from the Philistines. And then the author just breezily, he's given this whole list of different people. And in this list, he just says the prophets. So he, he lumps all of the prophets together. And if, you, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you realize that that's, that's quite a thing to do, to lump all the prophets together. He's lumping Elijah and Elisha. He's lumping Isaiah and Jeremiah Ezekiel and Daniel and the 12 prophets of the Old Testament. And he's lumping them all together and said, all the prophets through faith, through faith. All of them relied on God and had faith in God's word. They boldly declared they acted on God's word through faith. And what's he trying to get across? He's trying to get across that the Christian life is, is not lived in our own ability. It's not lived in our own strength. It's not lived in our own merit. It's not even lived in light of our own demerit. It's lived in light of our faith in God and who God is and what God promises to us. Look in verse 33, if you will. Verse 33, it says, Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and obviously in verses 33 and 34, the author has many more examples of people who placed their faith in God. And he mentions those who, who conquered kingdoms. It summarizes really just all the victories of the judges of the Old Testament and the others who conquered kingdoms through faith. And he, he gives examples of men like Gideon and Barak and Samson, and they relieved the suffering of Israel, but they didn't bring lasting peace. And, and then David was a person who really enforced justice. They all obtained some of the earthly promises through faith. Daniel, if you remember the story, he was thrown into a den of lions. He was put down into the same opening that the lions were fed through, and the lions had intentionally not been fed for many days. 
These were hungry, ravenous lions who were used to receiving food from a hatch. And so Daniel is thrown down through this same hatch, this food hatch. And yet God miraculously stops up the mouths of lions as, as Daniel places his faith in God and prays to the Lord, cries out. And God delivers him. You know, lions aren't known to forego a meal when they haven't been fed in a while. <laughs> I was at the Greenville Zoo uh, last year, and I remember we were looking up in the glass, and they got two new young lions, and one, uh, they're a little more aggressive than the older lions they used to have. And so one of these young lions sarrows up against the glass, and then all of a sudden the lion charges the glass, opens his mouth really wide. It was bigger than her head. I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm just so glad <laughs> that there's four inches of glass between us because he would have just eaten my daughter. And he was well-fed. It's no small thing that God is able to stop the mouths of lions. Then it says in verse 34, look in your Bibles, it says, Quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Remain strong in a weakness. Became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. Verse 34 is really reminding us of men like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They were given the choice of worship the king and deny God or worship God and be thrown into the fire. They refused to bow down to the king and they were taken and they were thrown into the fire and the fire was so hot that the men who threw them into the fire were killed from the heat. And yet, God spared them and quenched the power of fire. They hadn't heard any direct audible word from God. We don't see anything in scripture in the account that he, would, he promised to deliver them. But what did he do? They placed their faith in God and he rescued them from the flames. Elijah, he escaped the edge of the sword of Jezebel. Elisha escaped from Jehoram's sword. And Jeremiah was saved from Jehoiakim's sword. Peter, if you remember, he was saved from the sword after he was put in prison. And the angel of the Lord delivered him safely out of prison. Peter thought it was a dream that the gate opened up and this angel just walks him right out. And Peter's like, what was a dream? Oh, I guess that wasn't a dream. God delivered them from the edge of the sword. All these biblical heroes, they were made strong, it says, out of weakness. Isn't that the only way to be strong, by the way? It's out of weakness. So through faith, out of their weakness, they were made strong. They weren't strong to begin with. None of these people, Barak and Gideon and Samson and David, none, all the prophets, none of these men were strong in them of themselves. But they were made strong. They were made strong out of weakness through faith in God. It says they became mighty in war. That's important to note. They, they weren't mighty in and of themselves. They became mighty as God enabled them to become mighty. Maybe you're facing challenges. Maybe you're facing difficulties. Maybe you think, I'm too weak for what you're calling me to do, God. I'm not able. I'm not strong enough. I'm not faithful enough. And God says, have faith in me. I'm the one who will make you strong out of weakness. I'm the one who will make you able. I'm the one who will make you able to endure, to remain faithful. The point here is that they weren't strong on their own. They weren't mighty in war on their own. They didn't put armies to flight by themselves. It was through faith that God enabled them to do all these things. Through faith, it says conflict it didn't make them weaker. Maybe you're facing some kind of conflict. and God, God, this is too much for me. Well, through faith, conflict didn't make them weaker. They were made stronger through the conflict. That would have been something that would have been very important to the first listeners. Um who heard this letter to the Hebrews, they would have needed to know that through conflict they could be made stronger because they were weak and they were faltering. 
And something that's important for us as well, when we face conflict, when we face challenges, when we face difficulties, when life seems too much for us. Look in verse 35. It's really the last of the amazing, spectacular things that happen. It says, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Beginning of verse 35, it makes us remember the women of the Old Testament whose dead children were received back to life. There was, if you remember the story in the Old Testament, the widow's son, the widow of Zarephath in Sidon in, in 1 Kings 17, and the, the wealthy Shunammites woman in 2 Kings 4. They're both resurrected through the woman's faith and the faith of Elijah and Elisha. And what's clear in all of these verses is that God is a powerful God. God is able to mightily deliver his people. And he can and does deliver his people through faith. He resurrects and he makes people mightily triumph through faith in him. There's nothing that's too hard for God. There's nothing that's too hard for God. In every circumstance, in every situation, every trial, everything, every example that he lists, there is nothing that's too hard for God. Nothing too difficult, no situation too desperate for God to rescue his people if his people have faith in him. What the scripture is telling us is that God can do anything that he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. He's not limited in any way, and he calls for us to have faith in him. This morning, maybe you're feeling like God is limited in some way. That the scripture would speak to you and says, no, God's not limited in any way. God is able in every way. And he delights to do the great things through the faith of his people. Because through faith, God enables his people to do great things. But then all of a sudden, you remember that, that plot twist I was telling you about? He's listing all these things that you would kind of expect. Especially in the, uh, in the 21st century, you think, well, all these things of faith, we would expect to be overcoming and victorious through faith. And yes, that's true. But then in verse 35, there's that sudden plot twist. The author goes from listing all these great things that God enabled people to do, and he makes a shift. And he's still talking, though, about the same thing. Remember this whole list back up in verse 32, 33. He's, he began with talking about through faith. And this whole list is through faith. So not only were people overcoming through faith, but look in verse 30, 35. It says, some were tortured through faith. Wait a minute. Some were tortured through faith. Some were tortured through faith. They refused to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Shockingly, it's really suddenly the author takes a dramatic turn in the middle of this verse. If you're reading Hebrews for the first time, then if you remember reading through this passage and you're thinking, all oh, these great examples of faith, well, this is really encouraging. This is great news for me. And then you read this and the author gives these examples of not only how people overcame by faith and delivered and good things happened in the end, but then the author jumps into examples of what happened to people who had faith in God and God did not deliver them. He didn't deliver everyone who had faith in him. And he doesn't always deliver everyone who has faith in him. He doesn't promise that all who have faith in him won't experience troubles in this life. But through faith, God does promise to give the power to persevere, the power to suffer, the power to be tortured and the power to die for him. And really the second point the author's making here is just that through faith, God enables his people to suffer through great things. This is a hard passage. This is a hard verse. 
It's not a verse that we really like. It makes us uncomfortable. It's a twist. It's a turn that, that we don't enjoy. It, it forces us to confront the fact that God is still a loving and good God, even though we don't understand why he allows us to go through suffering, even though we don't understand why he allows his people to be tortured, even though we don't understand why he allowed Isaiah to be sawn in two. People like the scribe Eleazar, he was drawn on a rack, stretched and then beaten to death and promised release if he would only renounce his commitment to God and he was able to endure torture through his faith in God. And it tells us how they endured torture through faith. It says they believed that they might rise again to a better life. And what, he, what is he referring to? A better life than what? A better life than the resurrection that the... The widow's children experienced. You see, they were resurrected, but they were going to die again. They were made alive, but they were going to die one day again. And yet, these people hoped in God and had faith in God, knowing that even though they died, they would forever live and be resurrected to a life that could never be taken from them. It was a better life, a life that can't be taken away again. A never-ending resurrection life, one that's much better to look forward to than this life. And their faith in the resurrection life of God, it says this is what sustained them through torture. Look in verse 36, if you will. It says, others suffered mocking. Okay, is this because they've done something wrong? No, through faith, others suffered mocking. Through faith, others suffered flogging. Through faith, even chains and imprisonment. Isn't that just great when you're encouraging somebody else? Hey, through faith, you can suffer mocking. Through faith, you can suffer flogging. Through faith, you can be imprisoned. That's not normally the kind of gospel that's preached in the 21st century. But people like the prophets Jeremiah, Hanani, Micaiah, they were, they were mocked and, and flogged and put in chains and imprisoned. And how, did, how was their faithfulness to God rewarded? Well, on this earth... It was rewarded with the ability to sustain increasing hardship, but did not result in the relief from hardship. It says through faith they suffered. Maybe you're in the midst of suffering, you're feeling God's punishing you, you feel like God's, God's being unkind to you, and he's saying, no, I want to give you faith to be able to endure and know that you can receive a better life, a better resurrection a better inheritance than what this world has to offer. And I want you to look forward to the hope that you have in me. Through faith they were mocked and flogged, imprisoned and put in chains. Look in verse 37, if you will. It says, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. This is horrible. Think about it. People taking up stones off the ground and throwing them at you until eventually it kills you. Stone after stone hits your body, inflicts damage, but not enough damage to kill you until you have 20 or 30 stones maybe hit your head and finally you die. Zechariah was stoned to death in the temple courtyard by the order of the king. And Jewish history tells us that Jeremiah, he was finally stoned after condemning idolatrous practices of the people. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, he testified of the coming Messiah, and he had a vision of the Most High God. You remember that? He saw the Most High God high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. And there's, you can't think of anybody greater than Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. And surely God was pleased with him. Surely Isaiah was a man of great faith, wasn't he? And yet Jewish history tells us that 
he fled from King Manasseh and he hid in the hollow of a tree. And then he was intentionally sawn in two. A very slow and gruesome way to die. Was that because he lacked faith? No, see, God enabled him to endure through faith. The prophet Uriah was struck down with a sword. James, remember I mentioned Peter earlier, who was spared from the edge of the sword? James, the brother of John, one of, one of Jesus' best friends. He was put to death by the edge of the sword. It says in Acts 12, it says that Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to, church, to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So hang on. Did God love Peter more than, than James? Was James somehow less godly than Peter? Was Peter somehow more godly than James? Did, did Peter have more faith than James? Or James have less faith than Peter? What, what's going on here? No. And that's the point of what the author is telling us. Not only did by faith did some escape the edge of the sword, but by faith some endured the edge of the sword. These saints, they were stoned and sawn in two, killed with the edge of the sword. They did these things through their faith in God as a testimony to the greatness of God, as a testimony to the ability of God to sustain them, as a testimony to the fact that what they believed was worth dying for. Do you believe that what you believe, do you believe that Christianity, that Jesus is worth dying for? Through faith, God's enabled to sustain you. And then it says, <laughs> they wandered about in, in the skins of sheep and goats. It makes you think of Elijah and Elisha. They were definitely destitute, afflicted, mistreated, as were a lot of the other saints of old who endured through faith. And then in verse 38, if you look down in your Bibles, he mentions the people who wandered about, wandered about in deserts, hid in the mountains and caves instead of compromising their convictions. The world, it says, had judged these people as unworthy to live. It says the world was not worthy of them. So the, the world killed them. They persecuted them and tortured them. But the reverse was true. The world was not worthy of them. See, the world didn't think they were worthy of living. But the reality is their life was a gift. Their death was a gift. Their torture, their suffering in faith, by faith, through faith, was a gift that was meant to communicate that there is hope outside of this life. There is hope in the midst of suffering. There is hope in the midst of trials. There's a hope in the midst of difficulties. And maybe God wants to communicate something through your trials, through your suffering, through your difficulties, through your challenges. It doesn't minimize how hard they are, but have faith. God can enable you to endure, and it's a gift to the world. Because after all, what is most important is that God rescues those who are at enmity with him. And who knows how God might use the suffering of his saints? Who knows how God might use somebody who's in a nursing home and who dies slowly but yet has joy and faith in God? They were gifts because, like nothing else, suffering and dying with steady faith in God. It's a testimony that God is worth living for. And it's a testimony that God is worth dying for. 
And it's a testimony that God will enable his people to even to suffer great things to their faith in him. And the point the author is trying to show is that all these saints of old, they kept their faith in God through severe suffering, through affliction, through persecution, through difficulties, and that God is able to sustain all who have similar faith in him. It's not about their earning, not about their ability, not about their merit. It's about their faith in God. Not even their faith in their faith, not their faith in their ability to have faith. Even if they suffer, they can suffer through faith in God. F.F. Bruce, theologian who's now passed away, he says that faith in God carries with it no guarantee. That's not a popular message. Faith in God carries with it no guarantee of comfort in this world. We're creatures who are prone to comfort. We, we don't like that statement. See, this was no doubt one of the lessons which our author wishes readers to learn, but it does. Faith does carry with it great reward in the only world that ultimately matters. What world are we living for? What world are you living for? What world were the Hebrew pe people that the book of Hebrews was written to living for? Well, they're being called to live for the world that really matters. Not to live for the here and now. Not to live to escape from suffering here, but to live knowing that one day we will never suffer. One day we will never die. That resurrection can never be taken away from us. He'll enable his people to endure even great suffering. And, and as they do, testify of his greatness. You ever been around somebody who has died having faith in God? An, an old friend of our family died this past week and... Just seeing different posts on his Facebook wall about um, what they were amazed by. And even unbelieving friends of his, they were amazed that he had faith in God to the end. And he had hope in God and trust in God to the end. That in the midst of cancer and emphysema, he had joy. That's a testimony. That's a testimony to the greatness and goodness of God. And then we see in verse 39, look in your Bibles please. It says, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. The point that we need to see is that it wasn't their mighty feats that commended people before God. Did you hear that? It wasn't, it wasn't their mighty feats. It wasn't their abilities that commended them before God. And we need to hear that message. I need to hear that message every day that when I wake up and I'm feeling like I'm not commendable before God because I'm not faithful, because I'm not able, because I am weak, because I'm frail... I need to hear that it's not my ability or inability that commends me before God. It wasn't my nobility, my good deeds. It's not my sinlessness that commends me. What the author of Hebrews is telling us, it wasn't their nobility. It wasn't their acts of good deeds. It wasn't their sinlessness that commended them. It says, through, though commended through their faith. It's funny that faith is a gift from God. And yet God commends us for the very thing he gives to us. He's the one who calls us. He's the one who draws us. And he gives us the gift of faith. And then he commends us for placing that faith in him. It's all a work of grace. We're meant to see in these examples, really the third point is that, that God's people are commended. Through faith, God's people are commended. 
It's through faith that God's people are commended. You don't have to work anything up. You don't have to earn any favor. You don't have to earn any merit. That doesn't mean you don't try to obey God, love God, and live for him. It does. But what it does mean is that you have nothing that you can offer, nothing that you can add, no merit that you bring to the table. The only thing you bring is a gift from God that he gave you to begin with. And that's really good news. Because I'm not reliable. I'm not dependable. I fail. I'm fickle. I'm weak. All of us are not reliable. We fail. We're fickle. We're, we're weak. We falter from one moment to the next. I can have this great moment of faith and somebody says something that's discouraging and I can crash the next. But it's through faith that God's people are commended. And I would just add, maybe you can write that in your notes, in every circumstance. It's through faith that you're commended. Through faith in God that you're commended. Through faith in God that you're commended. In verse 39, the author is summing up all the argument of chapter 11. He says that all of the people that he's mentioned in this chapter, they were commended by God through their faith. Both those, here's the thing he's doing. He's saying those who were delivered and they conquered kingdoms and they received resurrection. They received their children back from the dead. They were commended by God through faith. And those who temporarily suffered in this world were also commended by God equally for their faith. That's astounding. So it was both people who were delivered temp from temporary suffering and those who experienced temporary suffering. All of them were equally commended by God through faith. And those who triumphed, they didn't triumph because God liked them better, was more pleased with their faith. Maybe you're tempted to think that. Maybe you're going through challenges or difficulties or struggles and you look at somebody beside you and you see that their life seems to be going just perfectly. And you're like... God, why are they having such a good time? Why are they okay? Why does, why does God provide a spouse for them? Or why, why are they healthy? Why are they not having any difficulties? Why does it like everything seem to fall in place for them? You ever have those sinful thoughts and temptations? Come on. I think you do. I do. We all do. We have those temptations. We're tempted to compare. Sometimes we also think that maybe... Maybe that person who's just constantly struggling is suffering. Maybe something's really wrong with them. Maybe they're not really good Christians. Maybe they're not really faithful. Gee, maybe they just need to get their act together and God would bless them. But that's not what this passage tells us. It tells us that we're commended by God in every circumstance through faith in him. And that's good hope for us. That's good hope when we're tempted to compare. And it says, though, that even though God commended them, none of them received what was promised on the earth, the ultimate deliverance of God's people. Yes, they received temporary promises. It's not saying that. But ultimately, they did not experience the ultimate promise of his kingdom coming and of a new city and the deliverance of God's people, the receiving of an eternal inheritance in their lifetime. But they saw the promise from afar without receiving it. And that's why they were commended by God. For faith in his unseen promise. They went to heaven through faith, it tells us. Not having received the promise here on earth, but still believing. And the last thing we see in this passage, the fourth and final point, is that through faith, God's provided something better for us. Do you get that? Through faith, God's provided something better for us than Gideon and Barak and Samson and David? All these mighty men of valor. How about all the people like Isaiah and Elijah, Jeremiah, Elisha? All of these people, all of these heroes, Abraham and Moses. 
all of these heroes of the faith we've been learning about in chapter 11. Look down at verse 40. It says, since God had provided something better. Do you catch the magnitude of that? God's provided something better for you and me than Abraham, than Moses, than David, than Samson, than Jephthah, than Gideon, than Barak, than all these heroes of the Old Testament. God's provided something better for you and I. Something more sure. That apart from us, it says, they should not be made perfect. The fact that God didn't accomplish his plans in their lifetime, it wasn't a result of some failure on their part. God had always planned to provide something better for us, and he'd always planned to fulfill all of his promises in his son. And now, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as God's son, if you've placed your faith in the fact that he came to take your place, to die for you, because you're sinful and you deserve God's punishment, and yet Jesus came to take all the punishment that you deserve, and I deserve, on himself. And then he also came to live a perfect life so that his perfect life would be credited to us. If you place your faith in Jesus that way, that for all of life, that he's able to sustain you no matter what comes, then you have been provided something better. Don't feel like you don't have what you need in this world. Don't feel like you don't have what you need in this life. See, all these prophets of old, they didn't have the eternal inheritance. They hadn't, didn't have the Holy Spirit. You see, if you've received this gift of eternal life from Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been given to you, placed inside of you. Through Jesus has provided now a new and better covenant in these last days. Here's the great encouragement for us. We can have faith in God having received the promise of God in Jesus Christ. We've received a better promise. Do you wake up every morning aware of that? Let me encourage you. Wake up tomorrow morning and say, I have a better promise than David. I have a better promise than Elijah and Elisha and, and Samson. I have a better promise than all of these heroes of old because I have Jesus. And I don't need anything else. He's worth living for and he's worth dying for. That's the kind of faith that's going to transform the world. That's the kind of faith in God that's going to transform this culture, that's going to transform your life, that's going to transform the life of those around you. That's the kind of faith that's going to compel people to say, yes, I need to repent for my sins and turn to God. That's the kind of faith that enables us to grow in him and, and make disciples. We have a better promise. Why? Because through faith, we've been made righteous. We've been made worthy to stand before God with all of the worth of Jesus credited to us. We have a better promise. We have unhindered access to come before the throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need. What more do you want? The access to God that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden, God has begun to restore that. And one day, all those who have faith in him will walk with God in person. We have better promises. Through faith, we'll receive the eternal inheritance that's already kept. It's like a title deed kept in heaven for us. It's reserved in heaven for us. All we need to do is go there to take possession of it. 
And one day all those who place their faith and their trust in Jesus will take possession of their heavenly home. And this world will seem just like a brief moment. And you can have faith to face whatever life holds, whether triumph or defeat, whether we obtain promises in this life and put armies to, to flight. And by the way, welcome uh, Seth. See you, Seth, back from the Navy here visiting for the weekend. And I, I, I told uh, Anna, congratulations, by the way, if you're uh, forget engaged, but congratulations to you too. So. <laughs> it's a weird moment, I know. Sorry. <laughs> Whether you put armies to flight or you endure torture or you're sawn in two and destitute, whatever God has called each of us to, we can be confident in him. That all those who have faith in God, he will make us rise again to a better life after we die. And when we live our lives through faith in God, it testifies of something. It testifies that God is worth living for, but it also testifies that God is worth dying for. I think passages like this are meant to spur us on and say, how are we living? Where are we placing our hope? Where are we placing our faith? Are we living in light of the fact that God is the only one and only thing worth living for, and he's the only one worth dying for? Because if you have this kind of faith in God, it's going to be a compelling faith that will revolutionize your life and revolutionize your neighborhood and your schools, your friends, your neighbors. I think God wants to do that in this church. God wants to do that in your life. God wants to encourage you and give you this kind of faith. If he's worth dying for, then certainly he's worth giving all of our life for, isn't he? We know that after this life is over, he's going to raise us to be with him and receive our eternal inheritance. Go ahead and ask the band to come forward. And as they do, why don't you go ahead and stand up. I want to read you a quote by Charles Wesley. It's a great hymn writer from ages past. He says, Even now by faith we join our hands with those that went before and greet the blood-besprinkled bands on the eternal shore. Our spirits, too, shall quickly join, like theirs with glory crowned, and shout to see our captain's sign, to hear his trumpet sound. Oh, that we now might grasp our guide. Oh, that the word were given. Come, Lord of hosts, the waves divide and land us all in heaven let's sing to him